Hello, everybody. Dr. Lonnie Stewart here from the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. Are you a physical therapy student about to start studying for the National Physical Therapy Examination? Or maybe you're a professor, a program director, or a clinical instructor who teaches DPT students preparing for the NPTE? Either way, we would recommend checking out our sponsor, NPTE Final Frontier, and the community they've built around preparing for and succeeding on the NPTE. That exam and the preparation that goes along with it can be long, tedious, difficult, and stress-inducing, but it doesn't have to be. NPTE Final Frontier has the tactics and resources to help address all of the usual barriers. They even have scholarships to help with NPTE study courses, FSBPT registration fees, and even research opportunities. And if that's not enough, they're even donating to the very first annual HET Podcast Scholarship to be awarded at the end of every year. Go to NPTEFF.com for all of the details and use code HET for 10% off all purchases. Links to both the NPTE Final Frontier and their scholarship options are available in the show notes. And now, let's get ready to learn. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. F. Scott Field. And I've got with me a special guest who actually is currently helping us out at the University of St. Augustine, where I teach. Meredith Kepchinski. Meredith, tell us a little bit about your academic journey and how it's led you to where you are today. So I'm Meredith Kepchinski and I graduated from PT school in 2012. I went to um, Texas Tech University Health Science Center and I have lived and breathed pediatrics. I've always done pediatrics and I, I love it. I had an opportunity to do a pediatric rotation in school and I did actually at a, a nonprofit clinic in Midland um, out where I was in school. And um, I loved it, like it, everything about it. It was amazing. The kids did amazing. I, I just always loved what they did. And so I started out as a like my career. And then a couple years into being a PT and working for the big home health companies and big clinics out here in Austin, I took a little break after we had our second kid. And just decided if I was going to go back, I wanted to do something different and do it my way. And I had actually found that Dr. Dominich had moved over to St. Augustine. I was on the Odessa campus with him. And so I, on a whim, emailed him and I was just like, hey, do you remember me? Like, I live in the Austin area too. And I was just hoping to chat because he knew a lot of the people that ran the Midland Children's Clinic that I interned at. And just wanted to get his thoughts on trying to do what they do out here in um, the Austin area. A couple of weeks after I met with him, he brought me on campus and he showed me all around campus. And then um, he uh, emailed me a couple of weeks later and was like, hey, we're looking for a lab assistant. And I was like, OK, like I have zero academic experience. I have no idea what I'm doing. I was not your best student, but let's do it. And so I started in the fall of 2019 at St. Augustine, and we had just kind of started getting our pro bono clinic here off the ground. And then COVID hit and we did the whole online learning thing. And so that kind of put things on a little bit of a hold for us as far as like building the clinic. So I've helped in a couple different courses, but mainly pediatrics. And then I had the opportunity to learn in their pediatric neuroplasticity clinic. And then basically we took what they're doing there. And we made it into an intensive project within our pro bono clinic. And that's kind of what helped get our pro bono clinic off the ground. And so a couple years later, I still help out in peds. Um, I occasionally help with another class here and there, too. 
I help some with flex, but mostly just the residential pediatrics course and run our pro bono clinic here in the Austin area. Awesome. A lot to unpack there. So <laughs> let's talk about this. First thing I love is that, again, you know, you took the chance not having any academic background, not knowing much about it. You just said, you know what the heck with it? Let's go for it. Let's try it. Right. Right. I love that because, A, you got to be bold. You have to go for things. You have to seize opportunities. I'm not a firm believer in luck. I feel like you work really hard for a really long time and you put yourself in positions for these opportunities to maybe happen right. to you. And if you work hard enough and do the right things, that's when your ability to pounce on these positions and really benefit from them and make the most absolutely. of them happens. Right. Yeah, so absolutely. it's not just overnight luck. You know, you didn't right. just stumble into this. You've been working hard at this for a long time and crafting mm -hmm. these things, networking and learning and doing your thing. And it resulted in an opportunity to teach something you love. Right. And, I, you know, I can't state enough how important our lab assists are because, you know, they're content experts. They're in the field a lot of the times they're working full time and they're coming in to help and give their, you know, real life everyday knowledge, which we love, you know, and it's one of the reasons that I try to keep my, my hands in the treatment pool still, because I do want to stay relevant. I do want to keep my finger on the pulse and I want to show my students, hey, I'm still kind of treating too. Like I can, you know, I oh, do that. Absolutely. And I think the students love getting, because we didn't have a ton of lab assistants in school. So this was kind of new for me having lab assistants in class and I think they really like kind of hearing the, this is how the textbook says you're going to do it, but here's actually how it's going to go down in the clinic. Or, you know, they love getting beyond, you know, the explanation of de it depends and why it depends. So I have loved, I would never want to be a full-time professor. I would not excel there, but I love being a lab assistant. Yeah. And so when it comes to that, right, like I, I'm a big fan of it depends. We all are in the field of physical therapy. However, like you said, you've got to take it a step further because that's why we get paid the quote unquote big bucks, right? The ability to clinically and critically think why it depends and what that means then for the next couple of steps of, of plan of care treatment, what we're going to do, how we're going to do it. Because again, I'm a very big fan of, yeah, this is the gold standard. This is what the textbooks mm -hmm. say. But guess how many of your patients are going to be that gold standard? Not a whole lot. Not many of them. Okay? Nope. But this is our starting point and this is where we got to go from. So that's where we start you with a foundational base. And then our hope is we can help you learn how to critically and clinically think to make right decisions when you're out there in the real world. So that being said, let's dive into the real reason you're here, the meat and potatoes today. And it's all about pro bono. Our Practice Act says that we should be doing pro bono work. I don't know if everybody knows that or not, but read the, the PT Practice Act and you'll see that we are kind of assumed that we're going to do pro bono work. We should be doing it. Tell us a little bit about the overall big picture. What is pro bono? What does it look like? And why did you decide to make the dive into the pro bono world? To be very honest, the first reason I was like, you know what I want to do pro bono is I was tired of insurance. I was tired of insurance, especially in the pediatric world, um, telling me, well, your child's not getting better. They're not improving. And it being based on this test, it, a lot of like just the whole everyone understands who works in healthcare. It was insurance. And I was like, how can I do something different? How can I get outside of that realm of insurance dictating what I can do with a child? So I thought back to, you know, everything I had learned and what could I do differently? And Everything went back to this this pediatric clinical. And I, when I say I had the best pediatric clinical, I had the best pediatric clinical. This site out in Midland and of all places, this is West Texas. Like, you know, you think all of these cool places are going to be in Houston, Dallas, Austin. No, Midland, Texas. 
And I mean, they had everything. They did aquatics on site. They did hippotherapy on site. They had gate labs. They had like a whole sensory gym. They had a PT specific room, an OT specific room, a speech specific room. They did an adaptive dance group. They had an adaptive fitness group and they had never charged for therapy. And since their opening in the 1950s, so they were even before the IRS said, hey, have this whole tax code for nonprofits. Like what I saw, like if I look back and I go look and I bring up that clinic now, every therapist that I worked with when I was a student is still there now. And in fact, their, their executive director who was leading the clinic when I was a student, when she retired, she was like, you know what? I'm going to come back and treat for you guys. And one of the other PTs became the executive director. So it was just, there was this sense of like, the kids actually got better. There was this community support for the clinic. And I was like, man, I, I really want that. You know, you look at the pediatric world, it's very heavy Medicaid populated, you know, in those types of settings. Like it's really hard for these kids to get beyond one days, two days or something special in the therapy world. And so I was like, man, if I can make that work in Midland, who says I can't make it work in Austin? Austin's a very philanthropic area. We're out actually even even more specific. We're Dripping Springs. Dripping Springs is a hugely philanthropic area. And I was like, I want to do something different. So we kind of dove into it and we're like started exploring our options. And, you know, of course, me, I go into this mindset of like, man, like I'm going to do this and people are going to be like, that's amazing. We're just going to give you our money and you're we're going to support you. And that didn't happen. And so you're like, OK. Now, that's when you rerun and you reset and you're just like people didn't like they just didn't quite grasp the concept of like open ended therapy for kids and we're just going to pay for it. And I'm like, OK, like that's fair. So that's where I never really realized how big networking was in the therapy world or even in healthcare because you're like, man, I have a healthcare license. I can go get hired anywhere at any time because I have a healthcare license, especially post COVID. So I was like, OK, I, I've got to network some more. And that's where the university came in and like learning the the facilitation more correctly with the body weight support treadmill training. And all of a sudden, we had this idea for a project. And we started writing grants for the project. And all of a sudden, these foundations were like, pretty good idea. Hey, here's some money. Like, see how it goes. So we kind of started diving into that. And it kind of morphed into this, we're going to have this like huge pediatric clinic and all of these things into like, as of now, to get us off the ground, we've got a couple kiddos that do traditional pediatric therapy in a sense, but we do a lot of intensive work. And, you know, this is the first year we've brought in, we're bringing in a kid from Alaska. We're bringing in a kid from Louisiana to come do intensives with us. We're starting to get kids from out of town that are coming in for three weeks at a time to do intensives. And so now, like the trajectory of it is, you know, we've got this PEDS program kind of up and running with now this long term goal of building a more as you would say, a, a birth to death type clinic, we've hired um, an adult PT. We see Medicare and TRICARE and then some cash based stuff, but then kind of starting to open up some intensive pro bonos for adults and for like into the neuro world and kind of working with different PTs that specialize in adult neuro and adult ortho. Um, we've looked at veterans things, but long story short, it was insurance. And how can I be different, but still do what I'm licensed and trained to do. Yeah, I hate that, that a common bad word or dirty word or naughty word in the world of healthcare is insurance right now. It right. just really is. That's what it comes down to. 
And and a lot of our students, I I don't think they recognize that uh, up front. They're just like, oh, I do a job, I I do well, and I get paid a lot of money, right? Let's say, not exactly. Like that that's something that we have to at least make them aware of. And it's interesting that you that you kind of say that you know that Midland area and like Odessa and like that whole like you know like West Texas. It makes a lot of sense though because you if you're gonna pull something like that off, you need room. You're not just going to have hippotherapy and a horse like in a yeah. clinic downtown yeah. somewhere, you know, exactly. so that that makes a lot of sense that it was successful. But I think the real key takeaway is, like you said, everybody's still there and they're happy. They exactly. love what they do. There's a purpose to what they do. And that, to me, is a lot more important a lot of times than the money, than the, you know, oh, the absolutely. stuff like that. And I'll say, like, I mean, it has been it is it's a whole new ball game when you jump into this nonprofit world, like. Not only like what we've learned is, is not only are you trying to break down barriers of a new healthcare system coming into the world and you've got to get patients to trust you and being a new business in a community. But when you jump into that nonprofit world, you're also saying, hey, I have this service and it has to benefit the community. And people have to think that you are worthy of their donation and that you're actually providing a service that's going to change. And it was really interesting because when we started filing for all of our stuff, we we decided to go through a lawyer to file everything because the paperwork for a 5013C is very tedious. And obviously, we don't learn that in PT school. And so, you know, he was really up. He was like, what you have going for you is that you do have a service that people will pay for. And he was like, as you get going and off the ground, that is a great way to build you know, as you are. Because just because you say nonprofit or pro bono doesn't mean you don't get paid. It's just you get paid in a different way. It was really kind of interesting to see like, yeah, like we, you can still make a decent living and you actually, in the long run, your earning potential is probably actually a lot higher based on how you build your board and your nonprofit and you succeed in your community because you won't have a limitation of saying, hey, it's just reinsurance reimbursement that's going to keep our lights on. We only are in insurance for adults because of the sticky rules with Medicare and stuff like that. And we're just not quite there to fund adult therapy yet. But for the most part, all of our kid programs are almost completely pro bono. And I still get paid. Did I take a pay cut to get it started? But yeah, I'm also getting a brand new business off the ground. But the actual long-term earning potential is not completely reliant on what insurance is going to cover it. Well, we have these fundraisers throughout the year. As we are more successful in our pro bono programs, that and then we submit back to these foundations, we say, hey, look, here's all the great work we did. Hey, can we get more money next year? And they start increasing the amount in your grant. The other thing that you now can start looking at is, okay, you, I've got this, these, I've built this great relationship with so many different professors at the university who want to do research. I don't personally, like, I don't want to come up with a research plan or because it just doesn't interest me, but I'm a fantastic data collector. And so now we have, we've partnered ourselves with, you know, with St. Augustine and some with Baylor to say, hey, well, we've got this idea for this research study. You know, the people who really love to write IRBs and write up really successful research reports, they kind of say, hey, we have this idea. Can your clinic do the data collection? And I say, yeah, that's fantastic. Like, let me know what kind of kids I need to start looking for. I bring them in and then we can start applying for research grants as well. And then research grants tend to be a little bit bigger than foundation grants. Like the idea of you say nonprofit or pro bono doesn't mean you don't get paid. You just get paid differently. And sometimes, like I said, your earning potential initially actually could be higher on my end than if I just stuck with a traditional insurance reimbursement plan. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I've 
just started dabbling in the world of grants and it's uh it's interesting um i'm learning a lot that that's for sure and and again like you said the research grants tend to be a little bit bigger but it's nice to have the foundational aspect too there, there's just so many different avenues you can go to generate revenue and income to help support the system right and i think like you said you mentioned it earlier but having a, a network is mm -hmm. super important and i tell all my students that right from day one it's cliche you hear it all the time but your network is your net worth and it's it, so true it's so true and i'll give you an example of that i live next door to our neighbors right here they own a fencing company a fencing company. what does that have to do with pt or pediatric pt and that's it so out here in dripping springs once a month one of the big neighborhoods has a food truck friday and it's one of the big neighborhoods in Dripping Springs. And they use different small businesses around town. We'll sponsor the event. Um, and then each small business picks a nonprofit. So their company is providing alcoholic beverages for adults. And then all of the tips that they collect, well, they're going to say, hey, everything we collect over the cost tip-wise is going to go to this nonprofit. And they selected us. So as a nonprofit, we get to benefit from something like that just by them being my neighbors, that if I was a for-profit clinic, I couldn't do something. Like, I could sponsor the event. I mean, you could. Some people might give you tips. But, like, when you when you have that status and you have that, your revenue streams all of a sudden become much bigger than just re insurance reimbursement. And it's kind of cool. Like, I mean, you and I talked back in December. and We had a whistle ball tournament to raise money. We have an auction coming up in July. Um, So we kind of get to do some of those fun things. Now, the planning and that side of is a lot more than probably opening a traditional clinic, but I'm so much happier. Yeah. Like I don't bring a ton of work home in the sense of just constant note writing and things like that. My notes are, this is what I saw. This is what the child needs. I send it off to the doctor. I get my stuff back and that's it. Yeah. I'm not waiting for authorizations. I'm not waiting, you know, and as a, as a director in the clinic, yes, I do a lot of the grant writing but I also have a board that supports me. And like I come up with a lot of the data and then they make it look pretty. And then for fundraising, that's a big part of my job. I have a co-executive director. He handles a lot of our spreadsheets with financials and stuff like that. And he does a lot of our billing for Medicare and TRICARE. But I do all of our fundraising planning with our board. So it's not just me. I have a board of directors, which are all volunteers. And they help me do a lot of that. So it's like you get to run everything. You get to do everything at your way. Plus, you have people to help you. It's kind of crazy. Why aren't more people in healthcare doing it? This right. Time? Yeah. The juice is worth the squeeze, right? Like get out there and, and do, you know, a nonprofit, folks. Yeah. Um, now, caveat to that. I think it's scary to some it people. And, and I tell my students this, but there's a lot of paperwork. It's a heavy lift not only to get it off the ground, but to continue and keep it growing and running. It's not, uh, you know, it's not simple, but at the same time, neither is any business you're going to start. It's going to oh. be tough at first, right? So you've got to kind of choose your path, forge your path, and then stick to it and, and keep at it. It's just like anything. So tell us a little bit about that, you know, the getting started process, the paperwork, like yeah. it's, it's, it's pretty intense for a nonprofit. And now for a quick shout out to our newest sponsor, Varela Financial. If you're a physical therapist and you have student loan debt, you got to talk to these guys. What makes them unique is that they view financial planning like running hurdles on a track. And for PTs, the first hurdle many of us run into is student loan debt. Varela Financial will help you get over that hurdle. 
They not only take the time to explain to you which plans you individually qualify for and how those plans work, but they also take the time to show you what your individual case looks like mapped out within each option. So if you're looking for help on your student loan debt or any area of personal finances, we recommend working with them. I use Varela Financial personally, and they were able to help me lower my student loan repayment from about $1,800 a month down to about $135 per month simply by finding the right repayment plan that best fit me, my family, and our life goals. You can check them out at varelafinancial.com. Link is in the show notes if you need it for reference, and tell them the HET podcast crew sent you. And now back to the show. It is intense. And like the, that's why I said we did go through a lawyer. I highly recommend if you're going to go that route, find a flat fee lawyer versus one that's hourly because it'll end up being a lot cheaper. So he specializes in nonprofit establishment. We met with him and he talked through the paperwork and what we were doing. And he actually helps. They're also good at being like, this is a good idea or this is not such a good idea in the sense of financially, are you going to get people to support you? And so he was really supportive of our ideal because, again, he said, you actually have a product that people can pay for, too. So that helps maintain. It helps build your status a little bit. It was great. We gave him all of the information. He wrote our bylaws. He wrote everything he filed with the secretary of state. He filed with the IRS. And he was just like his success rates of getting it done on the first try is really high. And that's one of the hardest things to do is if you don't fill out that paperwork correctly. If you've ever had to do anything with the government, if you don't fill out that paperwork correctly, they're not going to tell you why it's incorrect. They're just going to yeah. say, nope. not, and you're going to be like, what do I do? So it was totally worth the fee. So we, we started it that way. We did go through a lawyer. Takes about, I don't know the timeline now. We did ours pre-COVID. I think we filed in April and got our approval by August or September. So it's about a three months delay it could be longer now i don't know but they do backdate it so any donations that we had received from the date it all counted so it's from the filing date so once we kind of got that started we started kind of just in that meantime what are our services going to look like we kind of dabbled in some just completely pro bono stuff just to kind of start seeing how it would look and how things started going and I'll be honest, in the May of 2019, we had our very first event scheduled. We had gotten like a sponsor for it and it was great. And like we had our few patients that we had started coming out to support us. And we had this whole group. Dripping Springs doesn't flood. We live in the whole country. Oh, it flooded that night. Like uh -oh. there were boats getting pulled out to like, I'm like, we're not in Houston. Why are there boats? And it was one of the heaviest storms I've had since being in Dripping Springs. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is a sign. Like we're not supposed to do this. And then about three weeks later, I found I was pregnant with our third kid. So things kind of went on hold because my pregnancies are terrible and blah, blah, blah. But then at that time, that's kind of when I started at St. Augustine. And so that kind of helped keep the grind of like, yes, what I'm doing is the right thing to do. And then we had our baby in January of 2020 and then COVID hit. And so... Actually, COVID was probably like the best possible thing that could have happened for us because everyone was stopped. People were not going to therapy anymore. They were having to do telehealth and telehealth for kids is hard. And parents are like, this isn't working. And so we actually kind of had some patients that were just kind of, we'll pay you just to come to our house and treat our kid. And so that's kind of how the ball kind of started rolling. And we were like, okay, like, 
we can do this. And so that kept rolling. And then I got connected with more of the professors at St. Augustine. And they were just like, hey, you should learn this program. And then this program could create your project. And then that's how we started coming up with this idea for an intensive. And I don't think intensives are big in the outside ortho world as far as therapy, but a pediatric intensive typically is about three hours of therapy a day for anywhere from one, three, four weeks at a time. So they get a lot of reps in a short period of time, almost kind of like inpatient rehab, yeah. but you're very goal specific. A pediatric intensive is probably going to run you six to $8,000. Most people can't just shell out six to $8,000. And that's maybe w- that's with insurance covering some of it. Right. So that's just not feasible for a lot of these families that have multiple kids or kids with a diagnosis. Their health costs in general are already much higher than a typical child. Plus, there's a place here in town that does them. But again, you're you're having to travel for them. And so when we kind of started running the idea of like, well, we really like this. We started with a 12-week intensive with kind of local kids. And we started getting interest from out of state and out of Austin. And so we're like, let's try a three-week. And we've had amazing success with a three-week. We just started those this year. We have done three so far this year. We have four more signed up that are happening this summer. And we already have three on the books for the fall. Uh, So like the word started getting out about us. And it's just like literally everything has been by networking. We have one doctor here in town that will send us kids, but as far as most things are, has been completely networking and word of mouth to get us from where we were, I guess, before, you know, the mighty flood of 2019 to here we are in 2023. That's awesome. That's such a great story. And I think, you know, hey, it's a testament to just how stick-to-itiveness is important, you know, and just the, hey, this is worth it, right? I'm going to go for it. I'm still going to keep plugging away. This sucks right now, but I know it's going to be worth it. And so let's kind of talk a little bit about that. Like, what are the benefits that you see overall to like starting a, a pro bono type clinic or a nonprofit type clinic? Like, what do you think if you had to paint a big picture of the benefits, why should people start looking into something like this? So I think the benefits, one from a patient level is you get to truly dive into what you signed up to being for a PT for. I know we hired an adult therapist back in October and he kind of started a couple hours a week with us, just kind of with some cash pay clients. And he's now full-time with us. And he's just like, I just truly love getting to do one-on-one. And he was just like, I can see less patients in a day. And we don't charge crazy outrageous rates for our cash pays clients. I mean, we charge a hundred bucks an hour for a cash based client. You know, it helps when you get to do fundraising to kind of help cover some of those costs. Most people, if they have a copay, 60, 70 bucks anyway, or if they're on a high deductible plan, which a lot of people are on these days, you're going to pay out of pocket for most of your therapy anyway, and it's going to be more than a hundred bucks. And, you know, super billing is a cool thing that you can submit on the back end. Um, And I think that's a lot of things people don't know about is super billing. We've had really good luck with that, too. And actually people getting reimbursed a good portion of their stuff if they've met deductibles and stuff like that. For me, I love getting to truly treat. We get to do all of the cool things that you learn about in PT school. We do body weight, some more treadmill training. 
we're looking into potentially teaming up with someone to do robotics and do the the exoskeletons for spinal cord patients and veterans. We get to do all of the sensory work that, you know, is not always covered by insurance. We get to do so many cool things that we want to do. He gets to treat the way he was designed to treat and not just, okay, well, I got to do this because this is, or, you know, he has this patient that says, well, they get 12 weeks and well, that didn't work. I look back on my rehab. I was already a licensed PT when I tore my ACL and they discharged me before I ever was told by the doctor I could run again. So I didn't even get to relearn to run under the guidance of a therapist. Now I'm a PT, so I had a little bit of idea of what I should learn, but we just had an ACL reconstruction again on an adult in his 30s that he's like, I still have active kids. I've, I coach my kids football team and we got to take him from day one of discharge all the way through to relearning to run. We were kind of learning how to rerun a route and things like that. And those are really cool as a therapist that you get to finally do again. So your return to sport, all of those things. We do a lot of adapted fitness and just adult fitness. So we have a streamlined program for post-discharge that if they want to continue on, we have specialized trainers that we have vetted and hired and taught to be like, these are people we trust. And they're great. That aspect of it, of actually the PT part of it is wonderful. For me, it was being on my own terms as far as caseloads and things like that. In the corporate world of PT, everything has turned into a quota. I had an OT reach out to me and like, they're like, my company's mad because I'm not, not treating enough patients or I'm not billing enough units. That's not what we signed up for. And so like, that is great. I can be in more control. I am working more now than I want to, but because I have three kids and our oldest is eight and our youngest is three. And so I want to be able to have control of me being at things for them. And while we get things off the ground, like I know I'm having to do more, um, but we're really close to being able to hire another PT to where I can work during the day while they're in school and do all of our admin stuff kind of in the evening and stuff like that. For me, it was being able to do what I enjoy as a career because I tried being the stay-at-home mom and I was not the best at home. Like I got bored really fast and I already found myself like, I'm going to go coach gymnastics on the side because I can't just stay at home. It was important for me to have. And then the biggest thing for me also too was I wanted a spot for my kids to be able to come in and see kids work that might do things differently. And so that was huge for me. So now I have, sometimes my eight-year-old is in there and he comes out and will play catch with a patient or something like that and help be another set of hands. But I wanted them to see that just because a child does something differently, it's not a reason to ever to bully or to be mean to a child. And that's a huge issue today as well. These kids, people are so mean to them and it's hard. That was something I wanted my kids to see. So there was a lot of reasons to do it. It is a lot of work, but I have never been so proud of what we're doing in any part of my career. And I've done some cool things, like as far as like being a pediatrician, you've taught, you teach the kids to walk and, you know, you get to be a part of those cool moments for families. But this is by far like if it stopped, if we ran out of money and we were done, I would say these were the coolest things I've ever done. Well, uh, what would you say is like a takeaway message or, you know, a word of advice that you could give to somebody who might be interested in getting into the nonprofit world? I would definitely say it is worth it a hundred times over. It's hard. Be ready to put in a lot of extra effort on things that you didn't think 
you would have to do. The fundraising, the marketing, that's a different ballgame as far as, and don't be afraid to learn about it. I would also say too that I gave a speech at graduation a few months ago and I tell people, I'm like, just because you are not the 4.0 student, that doesn't mean anything. Like, take what your passion for why you became a PT and and drive with it. Because I was not. Like, I kind of thrive off my personality more than my yeah. my same, abilities. You same, know, same. take a 4.0. Yeah, I was uh, a B student with a couple of Cs sprinkled in there. Yeah, I still ask Dr. Dominic every day. I'm like, what did you see? Like, what? <laughs> well, I could teach, but that's the end there. But don't be afraid just because you weren't that 4.0. Like, jump in at first. And, you know, I will throw the caveat in there that, yes, I am married. I have a husband that has a successful career as well. And so it was a little less scary in my situation that I'm very fortunate that I could kind of jump in and take a risk. But it has been very worth it. And it is scary and it's hard. And in the end, I, I couldn't be happier. I think if you choose to jump into it, one of the biggest things I would look for is your board. Your board of directors can make or break you. And if you have a board of directors that can truly see your vision and understand your division, then all of a sudden, like your job becomes a hundred times easier because they start feeding off of your passion and they see it and it becomes a part of them and they want to see you succeed. So our board now, we have our president. She is a nurse and she actually had retired and then she kind of dumped back into it. And then we have a secretary that does fitness with us and she kind of jumped. She loves what we're doing. And um, we've got a couple parents that are patients. So we've got like people on the board that can say, hey, like they treat my kid or I've been to them and it's been great. And then we have two former professors from St. Augustine on the board and then a financial person that Someone with a financial background is helpful just because, you know, we're not accountants. Your board can be a huge support system and take on a lot of the things that you have to learn how to do. Awesome. Well, Meredith, I just want to take a moment to thank you for coming on and then spending your time with us and kind of educating our audience on all things uh, pro bono and nonprofit. We do ask all of our guests this one final question, and that question is, if you could change one aspect of higher education, whether it be DPT or otherwise, what aspect would you change and how would you change it? That is a really good question. I would probably change the interview and selection process for students. I agree. I think grades are important. I think there are a lot of things that can be told about a student based on their GPA and their major and things like that. But I think also, too, we miss out on a lot of really, really good candidates because we're like, oh, their classes aren't recent. They haven't taken this class recently enough, or they were just a little bit under that target range of what we want. Because you still, even with the best students, a lot of them, they can fail out or something can happen. And they're like, oh, this isn't for me. And they choose to move on. And I think we miss out on a lot of really good candidates just solely by looking at transcripts and things like that. I'm not 100% sure how you change it, but... I don't know. I don't know how you would change it, but like just students that I have known that I have mentored as far as like observing and things like that, see not get into school. I'm just kind of like, you'd be amazing. Like, and so I think that would be one thing I would change. Yeah. So I, I probably fit that category. Again, I was an English major before I became a PT. So it was not a natural progression. It was tough for me, right? Undergrad was tough. Graduate school was tough too. And 
my grades weren't great. I was, like I said, a B student, couple C's sprinkled in there. I think I was probably a little bit below the, the norms for, you know, uh, GPA and, and GRE scores and all that stuff. But I think being an English major and my communication skills kind of helped me with the interview process and really get to network and talk with people and tell them my story and that my passion behind what I was trying to accomplish, I think definitely helped in making connections and, and, sh and giving me a shot. Right. I think nowadays you're seeing a couple of schools start to use the grit scale to kind of determine like, you know, hey, maybe this student isn't necessarily the, the strongest student, but they have a really high grit score. So maybe they can get through this and figure it out because that's what I did. I, I struggled and I knew I was going to struggle from the get go because it was going from liberal arts to science and I knew it was going to be tough, but I felt like it was worth it. So I pursued it, you know, so I think the grit score can help for sure. I think it's something that we do have to, you know, be a little more open to like uh, non-traditional students, students that maybe, you know, don't fit the mold or, or, or just miss out on some of the grades and stuff like that. Yeah. Maybe they have some other skills or have done some other things, have had other life experiences that help get you there. Well, again, Meredith, thank you so much for taking your time and coming, thank coming you on. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Fun. Where can people find you and reach out to you if they have more questions or want to get uh, to know more so about it? My St. Augustine email, um, mkapchinsky at usa.edu. It's kind of easy to remember since we talk about St. Augustine in the front part. Also, like our clinic is called Fortis Therapy Center. We have our normal web page. If you Google Fortis Therapy Center, it pops up. We also have a Facebook page. Um, and I think my email is all tied to those. But it's just mkapchinsky, which is M-K-A-P-C-H-I-N-S-K-I at Fortis, which is F-O-R-T-I-S, therapycenter.org. Awesome. We'll put all those links in the show notes so everyone can get them easily. Meredith, thank you so much. We appreciate you. Of course. Thank you so much. Well, I hope that episode was entertaining as much as it was informational and educational. If you enjoyed this episode or any of our past episodes, we ask you to please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. And please share out the episodes to those who you feel may be able to benefit from them. We also urge you to follow us on all social media platforms at HET Podcast and let us know what topics or experts you would like to hear from in future episodes. And just as a reminder, none of the information on today's show should be considered medical advice. It's simply infotainment or edutainment to help educate our audience. For medical advice, we always advise you to reach out to your preferred medical professionals, and we'll see you on the next show.